Okay, it says it is live, and I'm going to do the old 30-second check to see if everybody can hear me or not. I will send a little brief chat here. And let's take a look. Still showing is not live to me right now, but... Oh, there it goes. Alrighty. So, looks like I have sound. All right, good. Got my first message from Moose Drooler. I will just let this go a little bit. And so folks catch up and then we can have a little bit of a Q&A if you want. And uh, then we'll jump into the geek list, which I need to bring up. <laughs> I posted at the top of the chat and also in the description of the video and all that good stuff. So, Maybe I'll just post a link in the chat again. There it is. Okay. It lets me post a link. Uh, it did. Okay, cool. So it sounds good. Okay. Um, I just want to thank all of you that are here right now. Um, you guys are all Patreon uh, producers, and I really appreciate the support. Uh, you know, it's a great thing. I've been able to get new sound equipment, which I've been wrestling with. Uh, <laughs> I kind of bit off a little bit more than I can chew, but I'm making progress. The last couple of videos I did were sort of okay with the sound. There's a couple of issues with it, but I think I've got to sort out. So that'll get better. And, um, you know, my... Uh, visual part of the video has gotten better they're now 60 frames per second which actually makes a huge difference um so and i just appreciate the general support anyway financial or otherwise it just uh you know helps me keep going and stuff like that just you know the the back and forth feedback is really a big part of it uh for me you know just commenting asking questions giving me your opinion on a game that maybe i liked and you didn't like or vice versa all that kind of stuff is what really makes it fun um, so I'll let that kind of catch up. So I've got the geek list here. I got to play almost 30 different games. Uh, so that was pretty good. And, uh, if you don't know much about the event or not heard about it, I know I've spoken about it in the past. Um, I didn't go last year cause I went to BGG con last year and, uh, I can only take so much vacation time. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to really go to both. The nice thing about Sasquatch is it's very small, about 120 people ago. It's an invite only thing. Basically, there's a game group over there in Seattle area in Bellevue, and they're also in Portland and stuff too. And they get together, I think it's like a once a month kind of thing normally. And then Jennifer Geske, who uh, sort of runs all that, she has some folks go and grab all the Essen games. I think they get like at least one of every copy. And then they uh, they bring them all back and then sort them all out, excuse me, and bag them up. And uh, then everybody gets a chance to play them for the course of about, uh, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then there's stuff happening Sunday. I didn't go on Sunday, but uh, so about five days. And then you can just play and they, and they get copies of the rules and all that stuff. And they put them in like kind of a Dropbox thing. And so everybody can download the rules and be looking at them and, you know, catching up beforehand. Uh, so that's really it's really fun, and a bunch of my friends that are in my game group here in Spokane, 
Uh, I live in Idaho, but I crossed the border to go to Spokane uh, and play over there. Uh, so most of us go. I think there's about, I think in the calendar, there's like 12, 10, 12, something like that of us that go over there. And so, uh, and then there's some folks that live over there that we know that used to live over here and stuff like that. And we've become friends with people there. So it's kind of like just an extended game group. Uh, so it's really fun atmosphere. Um, and then you kind of bounce that with BGGCon, which is nice because I get a chance to meet all the people I know from the internet. <laughs> so kind of six and a half dozen. Uh, but uh, I will just jump into the list. So the, if you look at the list there, Feast for Odin is the first game that I played. So the first couple here I played just before going to the convention. And uh, Feast for Odin is awesome. It would probably be my game of the show. There's a couple others down the list. Um, it really made me question whether I want to keep Caverna, which sounds lame after one play, but it kind of had that little bit of card aspect that I missed from Agricola. So you, the cards aren't really as prevalent. You, you get them kind of like during the game, you go to a worker placement spot and you get the card then. Uh, so you don't get a big hand and there's no drafting or anything. But they can kind of like coax your strategy and give you kind of different options and combos and things uh, to... Uh, to go through so that's kind of a nice addition to the game and then it has the whole caverna thing where there's like 80 action spaces or whatever to go to and just do different things um i guess while caverna it's not the 80 action spaces it's the 80 different uh you know development buildings and tiles and stuff it's more agricola like with the action spaces but it have you have that sort of wide open smorgasbord of things uh sort of like fields of arl which i haven't played but it has that similar thing with like 100 actions. Um, so it has a nice combo that, and the theme actually works really well because you have the Viking theme and you go out and you do, you know, you might go hunting, you might go raiding, you might work on uh, building up and collecting different sort of uh, livestock and like turning it into goods and then, you know, getting crops and turning those into different goods. And the game comes with these trays that have all the good piles in there but the rules tell you how to organize them so you can see sort of the progression of like, okay, if I start here, I can flip this good over to the next good, which is in the next tray. And then from there, you can see what you can take an action to transform it into another good and so on. So that's really cool. And the trays basically make the game playable because if you just had like all these different piles, it would, it would just be a nightmare to go through and figure out what goes into what and all that stuff. Um, so. That's really neat, and like I said, it just kind of gives you this sort of playground that you can live in and move through all these different areas. So I look forward to playing it again before I do a review, because I only played it the one time, and there's a lot to it. And it has the whole spatial thing where you like cover up parts of your island and you know all that kind of stuff. So that was actually sort of irritating the, you know, through that first play. I was like, man, this is such like a just bolted on thing. But then as you kind of progress and you kind of get used to it and you kind of figure out what you can do and what kind of actions will help you cover it up more. Because if you don't cover it up, you would just get a bunch of negative points. Um, but it actually works. It actually kind of like grounds the game into something uh, different and sets it apart from Caverna and Agricola and all that stuff. And yes, Tom asked if it, it would be my favorite Uve game. And I think Caverna certainly is. Um, there's something I dislike about that game a lot still. Uh, but yeah, this would be uh, in competition for that. Um, so I got to play it a couple more times. That so would certainly. 
that would be at the top. So that was kind of uh, Feast for Odin. And feel free to ask questions as I go along, because I know there's like sort of a tape delay here, and I'll circle back. Uh, the next one we played was Haspelnecht. I think that's how you pronounce it. Now, this is the third in a trilogy of games from this designer, and they're all about coal mining. Now, I haven't played the first two, but this is the first one to kind of officially be brought over uh, to the United States uh, with its own kind of publisher distributor, which is uh, Capstone Games. And as far as I know, they're going to bring the other two. And I think this is like the simplest of the three as well. And I really enjoyed this one too. Just had the one play of it. Now, this one is sort of kind of dual edged because the way that you take actions is this really weird and funky thing. It's better that I would like show you in a real video. But you pick these action discs in a strange way, and then you kind of allocate them in these different stacks on your player board. Now, that whole action disc thing is like not thematic at all. It's just, <laughs> it's super strange. But it really is cool from a, uh, you know, mechanical perspective. Uh, but that is not thematic, but the way that your player board kind of grows and you kind of excavate your mine and you kind of upgrade your workers and the way that you distribute the action disc actually on your board is pretty thematic. So that's kind of an interesting thing. So it's kind of a light-ish, medium-ish sort of Euro that plays in 90 minutes. Uh, and I'm definitely going to play it again. Uh, but, you know, I would say I'm definitely strong and high on it because it's really interesting uh, with the whole action thing. And then the sort of like special ability tiles. Uh, if you're following on the Geek List, I've got some pictures of the games, those kind of hex tiles. Uh, you can kind of arrange those in different orders. So it sort of acts as a tech tree where people start placing tokens on the top row and then kind of working your way down to adjacent tiles. And you can kind of jump to a tile that somebody else is on, so sort of piggyback on top of that, but you usually have to pay them like sort of a fee to do that. Uh, so that's really neat too. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm definitely uh, strong in that one to start with. And the last game right before the convention we played was Escape Room the Game. I actually played this with my family, I think, the, not the day before I left, the two days before I left. And uh, this is easily the best like Escape Room board game that I've played. Uh, I've only played two others, but uh, the other two were fine. Well, the one that was a Kickstarter I actually really liked. The other one I'm not real sure about. But but this one is, was great. It actually comes with four escape rooms. And in the rooms, you actually will like open these envelopes and they'll give you like sort of like a little map or picture of the room that you're in. So we played the prison break one. And we had that and you had to kind of look for clues in the room and there were other little pieces of, of you know that were in the envelopes to look at and little puzzles and things and sometimes they referred back to the room so you had to sort of say okay we found this here how does that relate to this uh maybe this drawing or something that we found in the room or something like that i don't want to spoil anything but uh so that was really cool because it really got you into almost being like in the room environment which none of the others really did it was kind of like you open the box and there's a bunch of puzzles and you know and they're i really like the wand but <clears throat> This one really pulled us in, and uh, it has this, what is it called? It's called a chronometer or something like that. There's a sort of a device that you put some batteries in, and what you do is you actually plug these keys in and then hit the, and it, well, you plug the keys in, and then it'll tell you if you got the right answer, and it knows what sequence to do it in. And that's without you having to configure or set up anything. And, like, it's smart enough to know that, like, okay, this is a valid key entry, and you must be on the first of the four rooms or whatever and then it knows from there what the next 
solution will be. And the keys have like these letters and numbers and shapes and things. And all the clues will guide you into putting those keys in there uh, in the right order and everything. And if you get it wrong, it actually reduces your time left by a minute. So you can't just sit there and randomly put keys in. Maybe you'll get it right, but all of the wrong answers would just reduce your time to nothing. Uh, so that is was amazing. And we're going to play the, uh, the second room, I think, this weekend. And so this might be a review that goes up next week if we get to that. Because uh, my wife really enjoyed it, and also my son. We did the three of us. Uh, okay, and so getting to the convention is Cottage Garden. <clears throat> this was really cool. Now, this one has some production issues. You have to, like, sticker the main player board. And there were some weird, like, translation issues with the rules. We actually started an aborted play and played it, and then I had a chance to play it again. And so once we kind of got over, like, the we were playing it was super wrong. <laughs> once we kind of got over all that, then I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. So you sort of like patchwork, but you have, like, a general player board has these cross-checks and grid. And then you, uh, you sort of take turns, and you're restricted to a certain row as this little token moves around. You've got to grab stuff out of that row or, like, through a corner row. Sometimes it'll go across the corner. And you take one of those and add it. Now, you can actually sort of like pay these tokens to add ones from this, you know, display of pieces that are on the side of the board. So you have like this currency. And it's not like patchwork where you're trying to just like fill up your whole board. You're like trying to fill up stuff around two separate boards. And then you score the stuff that's visible uh, that you maybe didn't fill up. So sometimes you'll fill over like a flower pot or like a special, um, I can't remember what they're called, a plant cover, stuff like that. And so you'll, 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 fill one, you'll cover one up, but you don't really want to. But you'll do it because you won't trigger scoring of the board until all of the empty spaces are filled, all the dirt. But you have two boards you can kind of work between. And then the way the end game kind of shakes out is very interesting because you don't want to leave yourself uh, kind of with a half-completed board because you'll start losing points in that last kind of trip around the board if you don't do it right. So there's a cool kind of efficiency uh, things happening there. And again, it plays with two to four players. You do lose a little bit. I played quite a bit of Patrick um, on the app and stuff, a little bit in person. But uh, you lose a little bit of that really sort of long planning uh, thing where you can see the whole row of all the pieces. But I don't think you can really do that with a four-player game with a ton of AP or without a ton of AP. Um, so I don't know that I'd want to really play this two-player because – I don't know. Well, actually, I try. I got to try it, but it really does a good job working with three and four players. Uh, next one is Ulm. Or actually, Ulm is not how you pronounce it. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's like Oom or something. And this one was kind of disappointing because it seemed really cool when we had the rules explained to us and it has this really cool kind of action selection thing where you pull this tile out of a bag and slide it into this, this nine by nine or three by three grid. So there's nine. So you'll shove them down and you'll knock one out, which maybe you can pick up and put in front of you to score in different ways. Uh, but then the row that you pushed it into the column, you could do the actions depicted there on those tiles. If you look in the rightmost uh, picture there, you can kind of see that. And you kind of do different things like collect money or get the ability to draw extra cards or play extra cards or, you know, different things like that and move your boat along this river. But it kind of, there's just a couple of issues with it because, like, at the beginning, you can take these bonus spaces. 
And the bonus spaces give you like end game bonuses for other bonus spaces. And you have to pretty much do that because there's a chunk of points there, but then that ends up being like a random bonus. So then it's like, okay, well, I'm getting bonuses for this stuff, and now I've got to kind of go do that. And so that feels very like, you know, you feel very corralled about what to do. And all this stuff is so early at the beginning. And if you, as you move your boat down, you pretty much have to choose between these special action spaces as your boat moves down. There are things that will sort of let you break the rules for that, but not very many. Um, so it just kind of feels sort of on rails a little bit. And we did play with the advanced game, which I think may actually be worse than the basic game. Uh, because the advanced game will add these different events and you sort of stack them on this cathedral type thing. And they'll change the rules slightly for uh, different like things in the game. So sometimes things will be cheaper, some things will be more expensive, or at the end of the round you have sort of like a feeding phase. You've got to discard, you know, certain tokens or whatever. And because of that, you don't get to really chain anything and do anything neat. Because at the beginning, we're like, oh, okay, so I can do this. I can spend these two. Um, they're like little bird tokens. You spend these to do this other thing. So you can set up like cool little combos. But, you know, like half of the rounds or more, you were like, oh, well, I can't do that because I've got to pay this extra thing. And I can't do that because at the end of the round, I've got to have these two to discard or have money to be left over to discard or I'm going to lose points or something. So it's just like, oh. So maybe the basic game is better because you may you won't have those restrictions so you have a little bit more freedom and maybe it's better with less players because we did play with the full four players uh and that was super like just confining and maybe if you play like two it's a little bit more open-ended you can kind of plan a little bit more and maybe play around with the space a little bit more i don't know if the rules change for two players though so i'm not sure uh let's see next one is mechs versus minions which i've already reviewed and played a bunch uh, we've got a couple of plays in, and uh, we had one loss and one win. And uh, I guess there might be spoilers in those pictures. Not really, but uh, it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a great game. I don't really want to talk about it more. If you have a question about it, <laughs> go ahead and ask it. But it's really, really fun. Um, and I'm glad that, uh, to have played it and can't wait to finish out the, all of the uh, scenarios. And the next one is Bloodborne, the card game, which I was actually surprised was really fun. It, uh, it's a lunchtime game, so if you know me, you know I like to have those quick games. This would be perfect for lunch. And the other thing I like about it is it's got like an Ameritrash vibe. You know, most lunch games are like kind of Euro-y or economic-y or they're like a trick-taking game or something. Uh, this is really just way in your face, and you can, you can be really sort of devious and nasty about it. But there, it's at, it gets to the point where it's like there's so much of it that you're really just trying to be careful. And it's like, it's not like, oh, I got screwed at the last second. It's like, no, you were just making screwed the whole game. <laughs> and, uh, but you've got to really play around it and, uh, you know, try to like, okay, there's a monster that appears. We're all going to kind of try to contribute and fight, but maybe this is the round that I back out and I sort of bank all the points that I have saved. Because if you haven't banked your points and you get killed, you'll respawn, but you'll lose all the points that you sort of collected. And there's kind of this like end game uh, point collection with this, these different tracks for killing some of the cer uh, certain uh, types of monsters and things. Uh, but it's really fun. It's kind of like Libertalia or um, what's the other game I don't like? Uh, Citadels. And uh, so you have this kind of re role revealing type of thing. Everybody has the same uh, same uh, set of cards. 
and then you sort of deck build a little bit and get new cards in the in your deck as you or in your hand as you uh, sort of escape and everything. So it's really fun. I I definitely recommend this one. Lots of fun. All right, the next one is Ave Roma. This is definitely my least favorite game that I played uh, by far. Um, I mean, it's so bad. I don't even want to talk about it. But it has, like, all these crazy worker placement spaces, which are attached to cards, or well, you'll, like, activate cards, or you'll collect the cards. And you will sort of uh, manage these different resources on your board, these different tracks, and you spend the different resources. Sometimes you'll have excess resources if you bump on the track. You have like, this uh, surplus resource that you can spend. And a couple of different tracks that you move around, and it'll unlock these spaces for these in-game bonuses, these Senator cards. And it's just like the same thing over and over and over again. And the length of the game is purely dictated by the uh, size of the decks. But the rules, they give you this things like, hey, if you want to make a shorter game, pick out some of the cards if you feel like it. And we started playing with the like just all the cards because it was like us oh, a suggestion. And it was like, holy cow, this game's going to take six hours because we haven't made a dent. So we said, okay, we're just going to randomly reduce it down all the cards to like a manageable thing. And so we looked at some of the suggestions. We're like, okay, well, we've taken out about this many cards, so we reduced it down and thinned the deck out. And it was still like, okay, even if we had played the game this long and we're just about to finish, I still was, was done with it. Uh, it yeah, it's just... It kind of feels like there's some cool stuff in there, but they got to rip out like two or four of the mechanisms and really pare it down or something. Cause it was just like so much just, I mean, I could go over the mechanics. I'm sure there's a video or something on it you could watch, but it's just like so much over and over and over again. Okay. So next one is Lagrangia, the dice game, no siesta. Played this a couple times. Uh, this is great. I, don't usually like like Yahtzee games where you cross off stuff and then everything like that because it just always feels the same. I do like King of Tokyo, but that's because it's just kind of wild fun. Uh, but this is really cool because it gives you kind of a couple different sort of engines that you can go for. As you sort of, uh, if you look on the right-hand picture there, uh, you get different uh, goods from these dice drafting things. So the star player rolls a dice, everybody takes one, and then he rolls them again. You take the remaining, and then you have a one die left over that gives everybody the depicted goods. So you take all the dice, and you sort of just cross off the goods that you get, and you can kind of go for these different scoring tracks. Like you can go for shipping the stuff, uh, or you can go for like building the roof tiles or getting these different worker spaces. And the roof tiles will give you little bonuses, and the works, worker spaces, as you cross them off, you'll take a tile and lay it on top, and that gives you special abilities. And those will combo with sort of an extra board that's off to the side, you can get extra bonus points. And then it also has this kind of cool sort of race to the end. If you look in the middle picture, there's a board kind of at the top, and it's kind of like the hat track. And as you move up, you'll get more discs that you can add. But then as soon as somebody hits that top space, the game's over. So you've got to really keep an eye on that. And you can also use it to push uh, the end of the game. I remember the first game I played, we had... I don't know. I, I want to try to remember the points. It was like 60 points or so was the winner. I think I won, I won that one of 64. And that was because we were all kind of learning and playing. And, and then, but the second game, I was able to kind of put the screws down. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, I've got a little bit of a lead here. And I'm just going to run these hats up and push those up there. And you do get points. You get a point for each you know space that you move up on the hat. So that balance between that sort of building your engine and driving that 
and then somebody just being like, I'm going to race the finish line. There's a nice tension there. Uh, so that worked very, very, very well. Um, let's see. Some questions now. Uh, I didn't play No Siesta 2 player. Um, and there's also some advanced rule tiles, like these little gray tiles that I'm going to try. I didn't play solo. We did. We played, uh, let's see. I think I played it three-player and three-player. I can't remember if somebody else sat down in the four-player game. Um, but it definitely three and three. It, you add, you know, you add a different number of dice depending on, uh, uh, you know, the number of players. I guess I guess in the two-player game, you can do it without re-rolling. And I definitely, uh, I'm supposed to be getting a copy of No CS, so if I do, uh, I'll definitely certainly keep it in the collection and, and take it to lunch group. Because uh, it's it's a perfect you know lunch group game, uh, we actually played it uh, in the bar uh, downstairs. Uh, World Game Seven of the World Series was going on. We just had like a little table, you know, like in bars, they have the little tables, and we just set up a little bit of room there, and we had our drinks, and uh, um, you know, played there as the Game Seven was finishing, and it was perfect. You know, it was enough to keep us involved between pitches, so to speak. And when they went to commercial after changing pitchers every every other batter. Uh, but yeah, it was it was worked really well in that scenario, right? And the next one we play was X Nymph, which is sort of a variant of Six Nymph. And uh, Six Nymph is kind of a guilty pleasure. Um, it's not a lot of people hate it, and I get it. But it's one of those that I've brought out with maybe like new gamers or something. And it's just it's one of those games you can play, but the game isn't really the important part. It's kind of just sitting there chatting, but the game is still interesting enough that it keeps you engaged and it gives you sort of an opportunity to kind of talk smack or just kind of, you know, have a fun time with. Because um, the game isn't certainly dumb. There is some decision there. And this is kind of a different variant where you instead of, uh, you know, you have different length rows. I don't want to go in all the rows of six games, but if you played that, you have different length rows, three, four, and five, instead of all of them being five, uh, and then collecting them. And so when you collect them, because you, you have a little uh, horned uh, cow things on the cards. You want the ones with the least, or you don't want to collect them if you can at all. So as you're playing these cards, uh, you don't want to end up collecting them. And there's different rules for that. If you're familiar with Six Nymph, that's kind of the same rules. But in this game, instead of putting them directly into your score pile, which you want to be zero, you could put them in this your own kind of row, and then you kind of build your own row where they have to be sequential as well. And if they're there... They're not going to score you any points, but if you trigger something where you have to sort of recollect your own row, sorry for that. I will uh, cancel this. I get random calls. Yeah. Anyway, so that will keep ringing probably. Okay, sorry. And uh, so you have your own row, and if you recollect them, then you score double the the the. Uh, the, uh, the the cows <laughs> sorry i'm distracted and if they're in your hand at the end of the game when somebody goes out then they're only worth you know one each Hello, you have reached the phone. yeah anyway so um so anyway that's that it, it's kind of fun but let's go to the next game so spaghetti was okay it's kind of a neat concept where you have these you know noodles that are diff different shoestrings and you have these kind of little plastic meatball things. And you sort of arrange it, and then you flip over a timer. I think it's 20 seconds, maybe not even that long. 
and then the person starts to pull out strings. Now you can only use one hand to pull it, and you pull it wherever you grab it. You can't like pull it and then move it. You've got to pull it out and then sort of not move your hand where it's connected to the string. So you try to pull out as many as you can. And all the strings are different colors and different lengths. All the yellows are like, you know, this long and the green ones are this long. And the longer ones are worth more points. And you can grab the meatballs as long as they're not touching anything but the plate. So that won't happen until the end. So, but if anything sort of touches outside the plate, the string, you drop it or touches it or the meatball rolls out, then your turn's over and you gotta put it back together. And then you have to sort of like arrange it for the next player. Well, we mess with a little bit. We're just having to, you know, goofing off. But you could really like get crazy with how intricate you make it and just make it as hard as possible for the next player to pull the strings out. And then, you know, the next player maybe doesn't care that much and they just kind of throw everything on the plate. And then, you know, it's not – so, I don't know. It's kind of fun. There's a couple of different variants in there, and there's like little recipe cards. So I think it could be fun. I mean, I think it would be great, like, with kids and everything. And it doesn't take very long to play. So it's fun, but it's the game side of it's sort of, yeah. Like, I'd I'd rather play Rhino Hero, but, you know, Rhino Hero isn't that much better than Spaghetti, I mean, honestly. But, so it, it's kind of fun. And then, uh, so the next one, this is an interesting game, the next one. It's called Mask of Anubis. And this is like a virtual reality game. So if you've seen, like, those cardboard VR box things you can get, you know, they're like a couple of bucks. Usually you can make your own. You drop your phone in there and you kind of look through it. And then you, it has an app. So you kind of tell the app, okay, we're doing this mission or whatever. Da, da, da. So it'll randomly generate a room. And then one player looks and then he describes. You'll just look around. You can see all around you, 360. You say, okay, I'm in a room this size. And there's like one pile or whatever over here. This way, and then it kind of merges. It goes into a T or whatever. Or there's a curve or something I can see up there. It kind of banks off to the left. And on the wall on my right, there's a painting of a cat. And over here, there's a statue. And then here's the dog. And so I don't know if all the scenarios are like this, but in ours, you had to like lead this dog to this exit or to this golden idol. So I'll describe it. And the players kind of put down tiles and things and, and markers. And then I hand it to Billy. Billy looks at it. And then he's in a different part of the, you know, the tomb or wherever we're at. And then you hand it to Francesca, and she looks at it and so on. And depending on the number of players, you'll have different rooms. And then you kind of try to merge it together, and you tell the app, okay, we're ready to solve. So you solve, and it sort of walks you through it. So you move the dog as it moves on the graphics on the app, then you turn and stuff. So if you get it all the way there, then you win and ask you if you won or not. But if you, like, you screw up, like, we didn't win because one hallway was, like, one sort of tile longer than we had described it. So the dog sort of, like, turned into the wall, and then we, we knew that we lost. So it was really cool. It looked like there was a lot of different scenarios and things. Um, there's like something where like a guy's like moving around. So as a reference there, um, you can do that. So it was cool that the guys that had played it a couple times when I, when I sat down to play it, it was super late when we played it, but it was cool. It was like, uh, keep talking and, or, uh, and nobody explodes where one person's like looking at a laptop or an app. And then the other player has, um, uh, you know, like a manual that they printed out. So you're trying to, figure out shorthand for some of the different puzzles. It reminded me a lot of that because you're communicating and, you know, you're looking at something, they're looking at something. But one thing you can't do is, like, mess with what they've set up. You can, like, put a little token that says, okay, that part's wrong. So you can't go, like, refix it, uh, you know, as part of the game. 
but I think you could probably get to higher levels where the, maybe that isn't cheating so much because it looks like some of the rooms can get kind of big. So you might want to be able to do that. Um, but of course, you can help out on the other player's turn as well. So next game is Great Western Trail. Played this a couple of times. And this was maybe the hit of the show. I'll go over some statistics at the end because they keep uh, track of logs and stuff. Uh, but uh, in my, for my money, uh, Feast for Odin certainly is an excellent, excellent game. And Great Western Trail would be right up there. There's a, there's a couple others I'll mention in this you know, high regard. Um, I think there's a couple of videos on this already. I'll certainly be reviewing it once I get a hand, handle on myself. But... Uh, Really interesting, different game. You, you know, you're moving these cowboys on these trails. You have this deck of cattle that you've got to sort of uh, use to kind of spend along your way. But you, then you want to end up with this perfect sort of hand to sell off at Kansas City as you move up. And you, you basically want all different cattle by the time you get up there because you can't count the same type of cattle twice. Um, so there'll be action spaces to sort of, you know, discard the cattle to pay for things or discard them to get money. Or even you can unlock action spaces on your own player board to throw them out of your, your deck. Because you start with like five of these Jersey cows, which are a low value of one. And you have a bunch of them. You don't even want one of them, let alone a bunch. So you can get actions there. And then uh, it's got it's a bunch of other stuff. Like you can hire workers and put on your board. There's cool little combos. There's like bonus objectives. You move this train around the track. Uh, which, when, as you move the train up, when you make that final delivery to Kansas City, you can get more bonuses out of that. Uh, so it, it's really crazy. I mean, it works really well. It's just like this smorgasbord of mechanics. But, you know, you compare something like this to the Ave Roma or um, what was the other one, Ulm. This all makes sense thematically, and it works, and your actions are really sort of digestible. It's like, okay, I'm going to move him here. You can move him so long along the trail based on your speed. Not your speed, but like your movement. And so it's like, okay, I'm move here and do this. I move here and do this. I move here and do this. After you play a few rounds, you're like, oh, can we start over? Because now I realize what I need to do and, you know, away from there. And the, this, this is another instance of the scores in our first game were huge. They were they were gigantic. Uh, the cool thing about the convention is people would keep their scores and they would just throw the score pad back in the box. You kind of see how well you did. And we looked in there and we, like, we blew another group of players away and then we were like a little bit behind another. Uh, so we're like, okay, I guess we did pretty good. But then the next time I played it, all the scores were severely depressed because, you know, now we were placing these buildings kind of blocking each other because you've got to sort of sometimes pay a toll as you move through other players' buildings and a couple other things like that. And uh, so now we've been a little bit more cutthroat and nasty about it. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, Great Western Trail, I mean, this was like one I was like, man, I would play this a lot because, it, it, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Kalis, sort of. I think just because you kind of see like the board grow and put the tiles out, but it doesn't really play like Kalos at all. Um, and it's got the cool Western theme too. It feels very thematic. You kind of you interact with these different like hazards on the board. You trade with the Native Americans, and uh, you can clear hazards and sort of get a benefit from that. But that makes it easier for players to move through and get to cooler action spaces. So it's got that that visual you know side of it. It kind of grounds it. That's really really neat. Uh, the length of Great Western Trail, well, that's a good question. I think the first time we played two and a half hours, but we were all learning it at that point. The second time I played it, everybody had played it except for one player. 
Um, but he, he was a pretty adept player. I played a few other games with him. So he would, you know, something he would pick up right away. I want to say that took about two hours. Both both games were four players. And um, so I would also like to play with two, just kind of see how that is, because you won't have as much blocking. Um, but there are some there are some changes to the markets and things, so I think that will correct itself. Uh, but uh, I mine would hazard a guess that with two players, you could probably finish this in a, in a little bit of over an hour. I don't think you could get under an hour, maybe after several plays, but um, I would say you're probably looking at about 90 to two and a half hours. I mean, your first play, you got to throw out because it's kind of a lot to take in. But then once you play, you're like, okay. So 90 to two and a half, but, you know, depending on players and AP and stuff. And uh, there you go. So the next one was Innis and this, or or Inish. I'm not sure how to exactly pronounce it. This one was super uh, divisive. Very, very divisive there. There was a lot of people that hated it. Um, and there's a lot of people, and myself included, that loved it. Now, it's sort of like Kemet. I would say a lot of people kind of compare it to Kemet, and you kind of hear Blood Rage a little bit because of the card drafting. Um, it can be over very quickly. I can see this one finishing in a half an hour. Probably not after everybody at the table has played it at least once or twice, because then you can kind of see how these different victory conditions can unfold. Because the premise of the game, there's three different ways to win. And once you meet the conditions of one of those ways, you can take one of your actions on the turn to take this uh, pretender token and say, hey, I'm going to win <laughs> if you don't stop me. And then, um, then you know, players have to adjust for that. So the ways that you win are very organic. You can kind of spread out and win. You can sort of localize and win. And you have these cards that you draft every round, and they're going to give you different actions. And this kind of like your basic actions in the game, like move guys, add guys. Uh, replace guys attack in your adjacent location, stuff like that. And then you can get control of locations, which give you another special card. As long as you control it at the beginning of the round, you get the card. And then you can play cards to get the cards out of like this epic tails deck, which is a kind of wild effects. And I think that might be the one sort of deal breaker for folks is the, the wild effects. Cause it's, you know, a sizable deck of random effects that are usually really good. Uh, so you have to um, you have to be kind of prepared for that. And you have to kind of know that those are really good. Because if you go into the game and you're just kind of doing this and that, and then Billy plays like, boom, boom, these two effects are like, oh, he was just drawing some random card. Well, you probably should have done something about that or tried to. Um, so, it, it, but it's, it's really wide open and kind of uh, there's like some negotiation because when you move into a territory, you can disagree. Okay, you moved in here, but, you know, fine. You moved in here, no big deal. We'll just keep going about our day. Or you can kind of in, in, engage in this tit-for-tat because of a combat thing, uh, which is cool. And then you can stop mid-combat. You're like, okay, it's not working. Let's just, you know, we'll call it quits. Uh, so there's a little bit sort of negotiation, and it has a slight diplomacy vibe when you get that in because you can't really screw anybody over, but it's sort of like, it kind of just feels that way because you can move in, make a peace agreement, and then, you know, on the next round, somebody plays another card, and then they're attacking you for their, and they're like, no, we're actually attacking this time. Uh, but I liked it. I think it's one of those, probably a try before you buy, but I love it because, you know, it's got card drafting. The card deck is certainly knowable. Once you've drafted a few rounds, and I played the game twice, so I drafted enough, and I was like, okay, now I know 
if the game is in this sort of stage, I need to make sure I draft this if I get it, even if I'm not going to use it. Or there's another card that like lets you counter spell, you know, sort of negate the card. I mean, that can be huge as well. So you have to also think about that in terms of like, I'm going to play this card, which seems really good, and sort of try to suck out the counter card. And then like, bam, on my next turn, like, ah, this is what I really wanted to play, you know. So that kind of stuff I really like. Um, uh, yeah, so this aesthetics also are a bit jar jar jarring for uh, Ennis. I really like it. If you look at those cards up close, they're really well illustrated. And looking at the tiles, I think, yeah, looking at it from the far, it's these weird jaggy things. But they're really nicely and lovely painted, uh, you know, tiles. So I getting up close, it works really well. Uh, the end game with Kemet or with Ennis is a lot like Kemet because you kind of have that declaring uh, thing where you have to declare that you're the winner and you kind of everybody gets one more kind of hit at you. So you have to want to be in a position where one of the conditions is you know you need to be in six territories. Well, maybe try to be in eight and then declare that you're going to be the winner or something like that. So uh, there's a lot of that that end game sort of weird tension. It is reminds me of mostly of Kemet. So that is Innis. And uh, number the next one is thirteen clues, and I didn't really like this one. Now I don't think really the game is bad. But it really reminded me a lot of Sleuth. Now, Sleuth is the game where you have these, like, uh, deck of jewels. And everybody got their own hand. And then you had one that was sort of tucked away. And everybody had to guess what that is through deduction, asking questions about what was in everybody's hands and stuff. And you have these sheets to mark everything off. So this is similar. Everybody gets a hand. But then you distribute the cards in front of other players, in front of their shields, so they can't see them. Uh, and it's sort of like Kanabi that way. But you can ask questions. You can see everybody else's cards. And then you have some cards that only you know are sort of hidden and not, you know, in anybody's or in front of anybody's shield. But the same kind of thing. You ask questions about the color and the types and all that stuff, similar to Sleuth, and you mark stuff off. Now, we played it with six. So maybe that wouldn't be a great player count because when the person uh, came their turn to guess, uh, and it, you, the way you guess is kind of neat because as you guess, you spend a clue token, you give it to the person you asked a question of. So you could end up with a lot of clue tokens that have a lot of questions to ask on your turn. So you have to pay attention to what other people are asking other people because that's going to sort of sort of uh, indirectly at least give you uh, clues to what's going on. And uh, so you're going to mark up your player sheet you know, with questions. I'm like, oh, did he mean that one? Okay. Uh, but at the end, when somebody guessed and they got it right, they had all three of theirs figured out. I had two of mine figured out. Uh, the player to my left had two of theirs. Somebody else had all three of theirs. They were going to win on their turn. And it was just like, I just needed like one extra clue to sort of narrow down that third card that was in front of me. And I was like, guys, this felt really random based on the turn order. Um, so you just, you know, as long as you pay attention and you've played a few of these kind of games, you kind of know what to mark off and stuff. So it didn't really feel like anything new. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole knobby thing was a little bit of a pain because you had to like look at other people's cards and then, you know, try not to look at yours and stuff like that. But, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather just play Sleuth. <laughs> or clue even uh, <clears throat> and the next one is pandemic Iberia this is actually kind of a surprise because when I sat down I was like eh, I don't really feel like playing pandemic but you know they invited me to play with them as I was there and so I was like yep okay let's play and it was fun I had a good time uh, it's basically pandemic you collect sets of cards you try to go to a hospital type place to 
uh, solve or, or in this case it's not find a cure it's like you just are doing research on the disease because you don't actually cure it uh, so the rules play a little bit differently but it's basically the same and you rail you uh, lay out railroad tracks and so that will help, help your movement you can move much faster across the board at that point and there's also lots of different variants we played with one variant where um, the cubes as they come out they would actually gravitate towards these different colored hospitals so you can only uh, solve or you know research a yellow disease at the yellow hospital the yellow research station you know if you played the original pandemic because uh, it was you know specific for that well then the yellow cubes will start to move towards it well as it does that that's going to trigger these epidemics and stuff like that or outbreaks and uh so uh, but the outbreak the outbreak rules are like a little bit different but it's it's still it still counts as an outbreak uh, so we had that and then there was some other rule variant we played with but there was a few others in there and you had kind of different uh roles and things and there were sort of like these um uh it's a it's a spoiler for pandemic legacy and i had a thing that was in pandemic legacy uh in one of the roles here so i was like oh that's cool uh, so that was pretty cool uh, it's a good game if you really like pandemic i would totally get it um and it was definitely better than the pandemic cthulhu one which i also liked uh, but this one just had like a lot more to it and i can see playing this one a few more times because of all those different variants and stuff uh next one railroad revolution this is from what's your game and this is an awesome game i would i would probably put this in potential for best of show what i do uh, feast road and then um, great western trail and this would be up there for me but you know a lot of people didn't like that so that would be right underneath and i'd certainly put this up there like sort of that tier 1.5 you know not maybe tier one but it's yeah it's still tier one it just wasn't the best you know it's still being the top tier uh and this is really fun game it just it's one of those euros where it's like oh this is a fun euro you know you can kind of do whatever you want um but it's a point salad so if you don't like that kind of thing then that wouldn't work but it gives you all these different options to do you get these different colored workers you can get more and you have basically four actions you can do, but if you take the action with a different worker, it'll give you a different bonus or the cost will be different and so on. Uh, but the really the interesting thing about the game, which I kind of didn't really like at first, but then as it happened, like it happens a ton, you're like, you get used to it. Uh, depending on what you do, where you're laying track or, or building stations and stuff, you may trigger a deal. There'll be like this little deal icon with these two hands shaking. And then you draw the top tile, it's face up, but you get the top tile of the deal. And if you trigger it, you get to look at it and there's two sort of transactions that you can do. And you can do both of them if you trigger it. And you trade in these share tiles. And if you can pay for it, you can do it. So you kind of try to time it. But you also want to keep these shares because shares are paid for other things in the game. And you can also like just divest them and get money immediately if you, you, know, if you need money to pay for stuff. Uh, so they have the shares kind of like this dual multi-purpose currency that can be used for a lot of different things uh, but you can't ever like spend money and then get shares you've got to like collect shares through actions on the board um, so you can spend that on these deals but then you pass the deal tile to the person on your left they can only do one of those so on your turn you still want to make sure that you have some shares lingering around in case somebody triggers a deal before your next turn comes around and then they, you know, the deal just passes around, and then you flip over the next one, and then you've got the deal that you can do. 
And so you can do these cool things on your turn. You're like, oh man, I'm set up beautiful now for my turn because I kept these shares. And you know, Billy over there can, uh, would uh, would trigger it. So best, uh, what's your game? Game I would say is probably Madeira. I haven't played all of them. I haven't played Asgard or uh, Vasco da Gama, or maybe one of their other older ones. But I really like Madeira a lot. This one kind of has that feel, I guess. I mean, it's sort of open-ended like Madeira. This one isn't quite as restrictive as that one, though, because you had the sort of... Uh, um, you kind of start off slowly that game, but opened up over time. This one kind of just is open up from the beginning. So this one could give it a run for the money, I think. Uh, this is def definitely my second after that. All right, the next one. I think guess we're over halfway. Uh, Secret Hitler. I guess this isn't an Essen release, but we played it a couple times. I already played it. And uh, this is a, exactly like the Resistance, sort of. It has a lot of different tweaks and variants and different special abilities and stuff that will come into play. I mean, it, it, this surely could be an offensive theme for people just because, you know, Hitler and Nazis are, like, offensive, like, period. But, um, you know, it has a kind of a jokey kind of thing. So, I mean, if you if you have somebody that would be sensitive to that, I mean, certainly don't break this out then. But it's cool. It really works well as a social dynamic uh, in terms of figuring out who's a fascist, who is a liberal, because you have fascists and liberals. And then one of the fascists is Hitler. All the fascists know who Hitler is. Hitler has no idea who anybody is. And so there's a few different win conditions. Uh, if Hitler gets elected chancellor, which has to be chosen by the president, then the fascists would win. Um, you know, if you get too many uh, fascist laws, they're kind of like missions in the resistance. They come up and they get voted on. Uh, and, but it's a little bit more interesting how those get chosen because you, you're really voting on the chancellor and the president. And then the laws are somewhat randomized, but you can kind of, you know, sort of BS about that. So it kind of reminds me of um, uh, Dark Moon or Battlestar Galactica Express with that. You can lie and say, oh, all I got was red cards, you know, uh, which you might have gotten. So uh, it works really, really well. It plays pretty quickly. <coughs> Excuse me. Too much talking. Um, let's see. Oh, so questions here. Oh, I didn't know Bean House was what's your game. That's right. I always know that as a Z-Man game. Okay, well, that's a different story then. Venus, huh. I like Venus a lot. Okay, well, Venus and Madeira, I would go back and forth on those because I like them both. I haven't played the new Venus either, so I hope to play that soon. Um, so weight compared to Felds, of, yeah, it's probably a little bit heavier than most Feld games. I mean... Like Trajan it would would be a little bit heavier of a fell game. I'd probably put that up there with that. Maybe this one probably isn't as heavy as Trajan though, because um, Trajan's kind of nuts. First time you played anyway. Uh, okay, so it kind of depends what game you're talking about. Let's see. Going back to the list. Uh, oh, Secret Hitler. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I like the Chancellor vote thing. I think it makes sense. It, it's, it, it, I, mean, I don't know if you've played it, James, but uh, i played it, I think, five times now total, five you know, games, two sessions, though. And uh, I don't know. It seems to work really well. And now I should say that the group that we played it with at the convention wasn't as high on it as we all were when we played it kind of with our full group back here. Um, but we're all kind of suckers for, like, one-night ultimate werewolf and, 
I mean, we played like all of the different, uh, you know, social deduction games, good cop, bad cop, which I don't like. There's one that's like Mayday, Mayday, which is horrifying, which reminds me of like a good cop, bad cop. And the different uh, resistances and werewolves and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah. And next one is Seven Wonders Duel Pantheon. I think this is a must-get expansion if you really like Seven Wonders Duel, which sort of sounds like duh, but... <laughs> um, these basically replace the guild cards. You take the guild cards out. You throw in some kind of set-collecting kind of thing at the end, but preceding all of that, you have this Pantheon of Gods, which are these different special abilities, which you sort of draft at the beginning in the first act. You put them face down. And then once the second act or second age comes up, then they're revealed, and then you see what's possible to be bought. But you put them on this, like, arcing board, so anything that I place close to you is going to be cheap for you to buy. Anything close to me is going to be cheap for me to buy and expensive for you. And they all cost gold, so it does make gold, like, super important. I mean, it's already really important in the game, because you need it to do trading and stuff. Um, so, but having the ones close to you are really cheap. It's like three bucks for the one that's close to you. So it's not that expensive. But if you want to be able to sort of snag one from your opponent, it's a very interesting dynamic there because it's like, okay, I've got the gold. You have no gold. So I'm going to go after yours that are closer to you and that kind of stuff. Um, and the effects are pretty good. I mean, they're really good effects. And uh, there's a variety of them. I think you all only have uh, six out in a game. There are effects that let you dig through the ones that are not in there. But there's another... 12 that don't get used in the game and you kind of like you trigger them and draft them and stuff and like as you reveal the cards in the pyramid so it's really cool i mean they're just they're way more interesting than the guilds i mean the guilds are fine you get like bonus points but it's like a whole other mechanic so uh i've really um come to enjoy that game a lot more over time because i play it two player a lot uh well not a lot but i mean well a lot <laughs> Uh, at lunch, when we only have two of us, so it's like, oh, default, go to Seven Wonders Duel, because the folks there that have really liked it, and it's an easy call, and we've all played it a bunch now, so it plays out, and the strategy is just, it's all that. Now, we've, we've totally consumed all the different ways to win. I mean, that sounds really weird, but, you know, we've, we've won militarily, and almost won scientifically, and, you know, there's good back and forth with how the resources come out. Sometimes, you know, different resources are revealed at different times, depending on how the cards get dealt out. Um, so this is going to be a good buy for us. Um, well, not a buy. I've actually already got it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. I was just reading a comment on uh, Secret Taylor. Sorry. So there. Like I said, the other group didn't really like it as much. So moving on to Macroscope. This is cool it's not really a game though and i don't know that i ever want to play it again and you have this like giant stack of drawings like hundreds hundreds of hundreds really thin paper and then if you look at the pictures there you have these like little circular tokens covering it up so you stick them in this big cardboard contraption and then you roll the dice and then you can remove tokens that have the same number as the dice and they'll slowly reveal this line drawing and you can make guesses and stuff and you start off with these little crystals, which are just points. And if you guess right, you get you get more crystals. And you play through, I think, 10 rounds. There's a little round tracker off the side. Uh, but if you make a guess, uh, then other players can challenge you. Now, they have to pay crystals to do it 
if they're if they're challenging your guess on your turn. Uh, so, and then you guys will look at it, and then you'll lose. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember how it actually works. So you lose crystals if you get it wrong, and then you'll gain crystals equal to the number of tokens that are still covering the drawing. So it's kind of interesting, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like guess the drawing, you know. And depending on what the drawing is and where the lines are, you may flip tokens up and just reveal white space. So that kind of stinks because it's just like, okay, that was random. So there should always be something underneath some of the white tokens, I would think. You know, or you just got like one little like line. It's like, oh, I mean, it's kind of funny too, but yeah, it's okay. You know, I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't really care to play it again. I don't know that I would. If somebody brought it, I was like, yeah, let's play this. I'd be like, can we play one of these? instead but it's kind of a neat thing you'd be fun with kids you know uh adrenaline got this played this a few times and this is really fun i think it's a, a little bit divisive uh just because it, it this is definitely the most ameritrash game that was there i mean it's there's no dice there's no luck really turn order is like the only luck um I mean, it's just some like random ammo counters and the weapons, but they're all there. You know, it's all just whatever's there, and they're all they're all pretty decent. Uh, but it's really just like a quick, fast, like just shoot each other in the face game, and it works really neat. Uh, the mechanics work really well for this because all the different weapons, like of all these different like little intricacies that they can do, the iconography is kind of overwhelming. But once you play it a little bit, you know, it's fun, and there's just the, the board you can set up in different ways. You can make a very tight board or more open board based on the number of players. Um, the, the way that you sort of utilize your actions is very much like a resource or a currency that you have to spend. Um, and you kind of want to be in a situation where you can make the sort of get the drop on somebody. It's pretty cool, but it's all super streamlined. I mean, it's a really refined design. So, you know, it doesn't feel super random or or just weird. You, you think about it, so it's trying to do a first-person shooter in a board game, and it really, really works. Like, if you like playing first-person shooters on the computer, I think you probably love this, and I, I do. I mean, it's it's really fun. Uh, you know, if, if that doesn't excite you, if first-person shooter board game doesn't at least intrigue you, then I would just, you know, not play it. Because um, it really feels like that. It feels like a Halo or Quake or Unreal Tournament or something. Uh it's a lot of fun. And the graphic design is pretty cool, too. I mean, it's pretty basic, but um, it's fun. So the next one is a Fabled Fruit. And this is super interesting. We played this, I think, five times or so. Uh, the mechanics are super simple. You set out all these cards, and they're all a bunch of worker placement spaces, and you put your worker on there. You only have one worker. And you do the action, which might be, like, draw some cards or whatever. Or trade cards or give a player two cards and they've got to give you two back and they can give you the two cards you gave to them right back or two other cards or whatever. So you're trying to collect a set of these fruit cards in your hand. And what you can do is instead of moving your worker to one of the cards to take an action, you move it to one of those cards and then you pay the cost at the bottom with the fruit card in your hand and you collect it and you just flip it over and put it in front of you. And then as you buy the cards, you'll take another worker placement card and put it out on the table, which the first time you do this, it's going to be a brand new action. And there's four of each of these. So as you play, 
you play through it, and so you buying the cards up and keeping them, uh, and then the first player to get to like a certain number of bought cards wins, depending on the number of players. Uh, but then you'll reveal more actions. Well, that continues to the next time you play the game. So all the cards that you bought, you just kind of throw out or put in the bag or whatever. And then you have your your next set of actions for the next time you play. And by the end of that game, you'll have changed those actions a little bit. And then you, there's like, there's hundreds of cards. I think there's probably, I'd have to look again. There's probably 60 in the box or something because there's four of each. And the actions get more sort of interactive and intricate. And like some of them will create like a market space, you know, and they'll, they kind of evolves from very simplistic uh, to, you know, a little bit more complex and stuff. Uh, so I really, really, really like this game. A lot of people really like this game as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to playing this at my lunch group and sort of just, I mean, <laughs> I may not get like a lot of reviews in of other games from my lunch group after we play this because I'm like, well, let's play this for two months, you know, and just play it forever. And because I can see my lunch group really like it. And one of the guys in my lunch group, he's in my game group too. And, uh, you know, he loved it too. So I can, he's really excited to get this out on the table with the lunch group. Um, so that's a really, a really cool concept. If you've got like a lunch group or just a light casual gaming group, or, you know, you want to break this out as like a filler to play a couple of times. I mean, this could eat up. You know hours too uh, i think we play it five times and i would have i could have kept playing in a different situation like i could have played for another like two hours just to you know see it and keep going um let's see questions yes you could totally play uh this with an eight-year-old i think because uh, the nice thing is you know, like i said the actions are early on are very simple and you can kind of use that as a learning game and maybe even just play like a learning game where you don't change the cards out and then you slowly, you know, introduce more complexity. Now, I haven't scanned, like, all the way through the deck. Because I don't know if there's any, like, super crazy card or anything. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think so. Eight, I don't know. Eight, eight seems young to me for some reason, maybe. But um, I think they could certainly get the mechanics of it. Some of the, there's some interesting stuff as you kind of go through the deck in terms of, like, there's a little bit more subtle strategy there. You know, not nothing over the top, but uh, so the next one is Colbert the Great Card Game, and I have not played uh, the board game, but this was really fun. This was kind of a surprise as well. Uh, really cool kind of worker placement stuff. Everybody has a hand of these number cards, and you play these to these different sort of stacks of piles of cards on the table. Collect coal. Uh, you know, build trains and, and run trains, get special action cards that let you sort of break the rules and get contracts and, and bonuses that you can add on to your contracts. But you have to play the worker placement cards in ascending order. So if I play a one next to the coal collection place, the next card has to be a two or it has to be two one to combine to make a two and the one has to be a three or add up to a three and so on. Uh, so that's actually kind of an interesting thing that's pretty cool i guess there's something in the board game kind of like that but it was really cool and it was kind of interesting how to uh you kind of mitigate the card draw because like certain coal will only go to certain train cars and when you run the trains you have to pick a color and only do that color train and stuff so there's some restrictions you have to kind of work around that but that actually worked really really cool uh and next one is solified the reformation 
Yeah, this one, I got to play it again, I think, because it's a lot like Campaign Manager 2008, which isn't a very good game. Um, it kind of tries to be like Twilight Struggle Light, but, man, just go play like 13 Days or something like that. Or there's another game that was like that. And there's another game that's about like a trial or something. Anyway, there's a, there's a few other uh, Twilight Struggle Light games that are really good. This one might be better than I'm giving it credit for. I'm not sure. Because we only played it once, and you have to do this, like, card drafting thing. You don't have to. You can use the beginner cards, but that's boring. Uh, you, you do this card draft. You kind of draft through your own deck, and you only use 15 of the 45 cards. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's like this big tug-of-war thing, same as campaign manager. You have to move this marker and have this other marker here, and then they move it back and move it back. And then you move the other one, and it's like this back and forth all over the place. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I could see some people liking it, but it was kind of boring. Now, let's see. Next is Jorvik. Oh, okay. Question here. Coal is the theme for 2017. Yes, it is. Uh, and is Coal Baron a good lunch game? I don't know. It goes a little bit long for a lunch game. I think it took us about an hour to play, and that was with four. And it's a lot of table space. So one of the things with the you know lunch games, you don't want to take up a ton of table space. Like I want to break out. Uh, uh, I don't know what's a light game that. Yeah, I don't know. Like Deception. That's kind of a tough game to play at lunch, because there's a lot of shouting too. So I'm talking about lunch like in a work environment, or like a public environment. Uh, 13 Days is awesome. I love that game. Yep. Okay. Next uh, game, Yorvik, which is Spikerstot with the expansion built in. Uh, this game's awesome. A lot of people don't like this Spikerstot game, even with or without the expansion. It is pretty dry, cutthroat, very sort of unforgiving auction game. Uh, but I really like it um, with with that, and it's it's it, it definitely works best with a full count. You want like a four or five player uh, at the table at this. I still like it with three. You know, it's fine. It's I, I, But it's best with the four and five. It's terrible with two players. Like, it's not a good game with two players. First time I ever played Spire South, just by itself, it was two players and it was awful. It's so bad with two players. The box should say three to five. I mean, it works. You can play it with two, but yeah, it's just terrible. And I do like the theme better on this than uh, Spiker Stock. You know, you kind of like you're you're fending off Viking raids. You're you know you, you're sort of creating merchants and craftsmen. It just fits. It just works better. The theme before was fine, um, but it works better. This one is all icons, which is more problematic for the expansion cards because they're a little bit more intricate. And you know the base stuff is all like goods and collect goods and trade goods for that. So it's pretty simple. Um, and, uh, so the effects though, from all the expansion cards were text and you could just read it and be like, okay, that's what that does where everything is expansion or is icons. Cause you know, the language barrier, they don't have to print multiple copies of the same card. Um, so you got to kind of dig through that. And that was simple for me because I could, uh, I could kind of digest that. like, oh yeah, that's that card. I remember that card. And you know, go from there. But once you do it, it the iconography makes sense. You just have to. It's got a nice like lookup sheet where just the icon on the card. You just go find the type of card. Oh, it's this one. This is what it does. Everybody gets it, and you go from there. Um, 
I would, I don't know if I'd replace Spikerstock with Jorvik. I mean, it's basically a straight reprint of the game. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that it's, it's not different at all. It's the same game. I mean, it, as far as I could tell from playing the cards, it's the exact same game. All the cards are the exact same. You know, it's just, I think if you really like the Viking theme over the other theme, then yeah, I guess you could replace it, but I don't know that I would. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a tough call. And yeah, you, I think you got to definitely learn. I don't know. You'd learn the deck, but the thing is, is the cards come out in a completely different order every time. And that really makes a difference in how useful a card is going to be. Uh, it, I, I, I could go through it in detail, probably. This would be a good, like, long view podcast if you guys ever listened to that. I'm not sure if they did that. I'm not sure if they did Spikerstock. But uh, that would this would be a good, like, deep dive kind of thing because the cards in the order they come out are going to be – it's going to be so different. Um, especially if they, they end up in, like, there's, like, a top row for the expansion stuff, and then there's kind of the general row for the base. It, it, depending on which row they end up, that's going to be a completely different way to play it. Uh, not in terms like it's not like heavy mechanically, but it's strategy wise, and like how much money everybody has, you know, it gets it gets pretty cutthroat. Um, but certainly, kind of knowing what to expect, there are some uh, some cards in the expansion stuff that are very like directly like you are going to mess with players. Uh, so that's going to put some people off, but it's not like surprise you're screwed. The card's going to come up, and everybody's going to be like, ooh. <laughs> like, oh, that's the card we have to make Billy pay $100 for. Or, you know, be in a situation where it's like, okay, that card, I'm going to put myself in a situation where that card's not going to affect me at all, or so they won't use it on me, that kind of stuff. But you can see it. You know it comes up, and then everybody has a turn, you know, turns to bid for it and stuff. Uh, but, yeah. So that's the first page. Just got a handful more. And next one is Clask, which is awesome. I mean, I'm going to keep that. That's just a fun game. It's basically air hockey with a twist um, with these little magnetic things, and it's a super fun dexterity game. We played a couple of this to unwind uh, on one of the nights, and uh, it was super fun. And uh, my opponent had never played it before, and literally he beat me two out of three games. So obviously I'm terrible. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun game. I think there's a few reviews on it, and I know I reviewed it. Uh, and you can get it for 45 bucks at Target, which is a steal. I think you can still get it for 45 bucks. But uh, next one is Solarius Mission. This was awesome, but <laughs> the rules were pretty crazy. Um, they're not bad. They're just I think it's more of a translation thing because some of the English. You know, the way they sort of put thoughts together was like, what does this say? <laughs> um, and we did actually have somebody, thankfully, come by and help us who had played it through a full play of the game. None of us had played it. And he said, oh, no, you got to do like this. And we're like, oh, all the light bulbs are going off. And some of the components, kind of graphic design choices are a little bit like, why did you do that? Because it's sort of confusing. Um, and... Once you kind of get through that, like I would say, our, we only played it once. And our first play was a struggle. But by the end of the game, we were all like, oh, man, I want to play this again, but not today because it was took us a while. 
it was probably about four hours with the rules. The next play would certainly go much, much quicker than that. But it was like, ah, I can't do this anymore today, but I want to play this again. Uh, it was really cool. It, so it's kind of like uh, Zaya or Merchant of Venus. You have one ship, you're kind of flying around. It's not only pick up and deliver, but you might go do a mission here and then go build a space station here and settle this planet here and drop a colony off there. And you have like these different special ability cards that you can kind of use for a mission or you attach to your ship, stuff like that. Um, and that's, it's really cool. And it has this weird like action dice thing where you have these dice on your ship and you upgrade the capabilities and you rotate them up so that when you choose a dice of that color, it's, it's more awesome for you. And you've got to spend fuel and gold and some of that like gold you can spend and become different resources and you can spend resources into gold. Uh, and you've got to, you know, use, use and burn fuel and you can upgrade your engines and fly further and faster and all that stuff. Um, really fun. Like I've really wanted a game like Zaya. I hated Zaya because it was just like, why would I mine this? And I might blow up my ship or why would I fly through here and maybe fly into the sun or it was like uh, so random. I mean, I really wanted to like that game because I like the whole idea of space exploration and, you know, you've got your own little vessel and you're doing different weird spacey things. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this is kind of like No Man's Sky if you play the video game, which I haven't, but, you know, you're just, you're exploring and just doing cool stuff and you're upgrading your engine. It was, it was really cool and very thinky after we kind of figured out everything. Um, <clears throat> So that I recommend that, but again, with all those kind of caveats. I have not heard of anybody bringing Solaris over to the U.S. I have a feeling Stronghold is, would look at it because they brought over other Spielworks games, I think, right? Or maybe somebody else would get into it. And who else brings over their stuff? Uh, well, I think Capstone Games would be somebody like that. Or what's the other company I'm thinking of? Who's the company? Oh, Passport Games maybe would look into this. I would really hope that the English rules would get kind of a revamp or just some clarifications or something. Maybe a graphic design overhaul. That part isn't as much as a deal breaker. It's just the rules being pretty cumbersome. Uh, the little discs for the colonies are tiny. They're like little, uh, I, I call them little allergy pills because they're tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, and I, would, I don't know why. There's no reason for them to be tiny. I haven't heard about Kepler 3042. That sounds cool. You know, the art in kind of reminds me of some of that art uh, that you see in some of those, uh, I don't know if NASA does them, but of the different stars and everything. It has a cool feel with that. So that's kind of neat too. Okay, two more. <clears throat> so let me take a drink. <laughs> uh, next one is The Arrival. This is actually kind of redoing Mordred, which is a Martin Wallace game from the 90s. This was really fun. This is another one where we played the game. We only played it once. We played it and we were like, hmm, this is, why is this, why is this a game? You know, like, this isn't that interesting. But then by the third round, because we played four players, you only play four rounds max. Uh, we're like, okay, now it makes sense <laughs> because as the end game sort of starts to approach and there's kind of like two possible end games, uh, it's really like, it, it kind of flips everything on its head. So you can actually end the game early 
if uh, one of the players becomes a certain level of corruption, and that's going to change based on the number of players. But if somebody gets really corrupt, that will trigger an early end game, and then you, you look at how you score. Otherwise, you play a certain number of rounds based on the number of players. But there's also two ways to win. So depending, it doesn't matter how the game ends, but if there are more sort of like demons or whatever invading this land, then the least corrupt player is going to win. However, if the players did a good job of keeping the demons back, and there's more sort of player pieces than there are demons or player locations, then the player with the most fame or the most victory points will win. So that actually adds a very interesting thing. So as you kind of see somebody maybe pulling ahead at victory points, you might try to sort of, I won't say tank the game, because you're not really tanking it for anybody. It doesn't. It's not like a semi-co-op. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not, because you are really trying to hurt the other players the entire game. Uh, but you might try to drive one endgame condition. So I thought there's no way to like really tank the game for anybody, and that's kind of the cool thing about it. Um, but you, it is possible maybe to shift uh, your focus and you know, okay, I was trying to get the you know the corruption ending, but that's not going to happen. So now I've got to be able to change gears and start colonizing or whatever the area is and getting more points through some of these different tiles and stuff and fighting the monsters because you get points for doing that. Um, there's a weird card drafting thing. It's it, it, it's 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 really simple, but it's very weird to explain. Uh, so I'm not going to do it. But the way that you get actions and the different types of things that you can do on your turn is this really funky card drafting. I've never seen anything like it. And I really liked it. It was very, very cool. Um, so it's got that to bolt it on. Now, there's a little bit of luck there because you might be like, I want to do a lot of attacking this round. You might not be able to do as much as you think. So that might be an issue for some people. But I kind of like, you know, I like a little bit of luck in my games. Um, this is really cool. It kind of reminded me of studying Emerald, but, you know, not like it at all. The mechanics are totally different. But the whole, like, switching sides thing is, uh, it reminds me of that. We can kind of be on one team or the other. Of course, you can choose which team you're on in this. And studying Emerald, you get dealt that, and you have to play around that and do it in a hidden way. That's none of that here. Uh, but I certainly recommend it. And now this is being brought over by, let me bring up the publisher, because this is their first game. It is uh, Games Up. So it's the first game they're bringing out. But it, like I said, it's an old sort of Wallace design. Um, so yeah, I would certainly take a look at it. So the last game is uh, Flow of History. And this is a weird game. I'm not sure how I feel about it. This is from the publisher of... Um, Jiraku, which my group has played to death, and I have still not played it. Uh, they all love it. It's a fantastic. It's like a trick-taking area control game. That's Jiraku. Uh, and, it, you know, it sounds weird, but they said it works really well. Uh, this is the same publisher, Flow of History, and this is kind of like playing Through the Ages or Innovation. Um, it's a civilization game, and you have, like, this row of cards, and you bid on them. And so you put your little pawn on a stack of tokens. They're all like worth a buck. And then if it comes back around to you and nobody's sniped your bid, then you get the card and put it in front of you. And you have these cards that you collect are like different colors, which are different types, like production and uh, like farming cards and government cards and military cards. And you cover up the previous ones in the same color. So you'll have like these different icons from the previous ones because you kind of splay them out upwards. 
But whatever the effect is on the top card is the effect that you've got. You cover up the old effect and you've lost it. But you haven't lost the icons. Um, but the whole bidding thing, the sniping, so if somebody snipes it, so I put my pawn on top of three tokens, Billy can snipe it. They can pay me three tokens. So I get my tokens back. They get the card. My tokens go to like this market area, and then I get half of those tokens, whatever's in the market area, uh, random down. So I get a bunch of money. So it's kind of like one of those things, those games where you like set the price, hoping somebody to snipe it from you because you really need money. Um, but maybe you really want the card. And then the cards just do different effects. So when you trigger like a harvest card, you'll get uh, you get more of these tokens, or maybe you'll bring tokens from a big pile into that central market. And there's war cards and government cards and different special abilities. You can get um, like wonders, and those will trigger like end game scoring. So it's a Civ game. And it's kind of like innovation, really, because uh, it's all these effects. But it's not like innovation where the effects are really crazy. Uh, they're very much more kind of like low-key. I really like innovation, but um, if you hate innovation, I would still look at this. Uh, it was kind of weird. So it's it's just you got to kind of see the whole deck play out because there's like five ages, and then you go, oh, okay, these are the different points. You get leaders and stuff that you can do. You just kind of kind of see how see how it plays out because I'm not sure how I feel about it because it was fun, but it wasn't like hmm, it was okay. It was good, but. A friend of mine had played it a couple of times, and he said that the game that he played in previous to that played out a lot differently. Like, we had a super tight economy the whole game. But because of what people were covering up and stuff, in the other game, there was a lot more money injected, uh, so the bids were a lot more fun. They, they got out of control, and there was a lot more effects and things that were kind of going off and everything. So I think we just played a little bit more conservative, um, and maybe that had something to do with it. So it seems like you can play it a few different ways. So yeah, so something definitely to look at, and something I certainly want to definitely try again at the very, very least. Um, so that is uh, all of the games that I played. I'll certainly be reviewing these in sh some of them, at least in uh, short order. And anyway, I just want to thank all you guys for uh, for joining. I guess that was about an hour and a half. Is that about right? Let's see. Yeah, about an hour and a half. That's about how long I wanted to take. So I'll just sit here sort of awkwardly <laughs> while you catch up to me. If there's any other questions, somebody asked me a question on Board Game Geek, I'll sort of type an answer to that. Their question was, if they didn't like Lagrange, if they would like Lagrange as a dice game. Uh, and I would say probably, uh, because they're very different. Um, but also I wanted to... Um, uh, Say thank you again for you guys for joining in. Now I'll go ahead and make this public here after we're done and uh, stuff like that. But uh, so upcoming reviews, that's a good question. I certainly will review, uh, let's see. Well, I can certainly review Bloodborne and Fabled Fruit and Ennis. I like to try Ennis two player. Let me try the two player first. And Feast for Odin, I want to try again. And what else? Uh, the arrival, I could certainly certainly do that one. I think the arrival, I got to play with less than four, though. I think I don't know. I don't think you want to play the arrival with with less than uh, with less than the full player count. Actually, yeah, I don't know. It just I, I just know it's not going to be fun two player because it's you have to two victory conditions and it's just you just be kind of like going through the motions. I'll need to double check about certain rules and stuff with that. 
Uh, Bloodborne, I could certainly uh, play again and review. And um, I did get a copy of the new version of Acquire, so I'll probably do a micro review of that. That'll be more of a component review because I've reviewed that and I've played that, you know, a lot, 50 times maybe. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> but I played it a ton. Uh, and they, they re-released Acquire and it looks really good. I just kind of did a scan of the components. I'm not sure about the actual board. I need to see that in a good light. But it's definitely an improvement of the previous version that uh, Avalon Hill slash Hasbro put out. So that's kind of a general thing. I think I'm forgetting something. Oh, you know what I played recently that I'll certainly be reviewing? We played it a couple times uh, this week at work. Uh, it's called Trick of the Rails. That's a really cool game. I'll certainly review that soon. Uh, Terraforming Mars, I mean, I haven't played that in a couple of weeks, but yes, <laughs> I, I still want to play it. And uh, same kind of same deal with Arkham Horror. I played that a few times and then reviewed it, and I just haven't had a chance to play it again. Um, I would. I would. I want to play it again. It's one of those things where the whole reviewer side is kind of like, yes, I would play it again, but I have a giant, huge stack of games I want to play and review. So it's 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 not a normal position to be in. You know, uh, I know I've I watched Tom Vassell, and I know he kind of goes through the same thing where he's like, this game's really good. I'm getting rid of it, you know, and I, I'm at that position where it's like, I don't know that it would kick anything out of my shelf, but if you asked me a question a different way of like, hey, um, if you had a choice of like 10 games and you had you like you lost all the games in your collection or something, would I be cool with um, like Terraforming Mars and Arkham Horror? Yeah, I, mean, I certainly would play those like 10 more times each for sure. No question. Uh, I haven't played the Tesla versus Edison expansion. Um, so I don't know how any comments on that. A Kickstarter's on my radar. I'll tell you. Well, I just backed somewhat reluctantly, <laughs> but not really. It's called Star Saga. And I wouldn't rush out. It's all it's over. But um, I backed that for a number of different reasons. Mostly because I'm going to get stuff to add to my Dead Zone stuff, which I have been playing recently, even after the review. And I really like that game. And this is going to come up with extra stuff for Dead Zone. It's going to have its own sort of like dungeon crawl built in. Which I'm like not really that interested in. It looks it looks cool. It's basically like Dungeon Saga, which is another game for Mantic and Space. Um, but it looks like it's kind of more refined. I know they have some issues with Dungeon Saga coming out, which I haven't played. But uh, so it has that, and then it also had um, uh, this. There's this new game now, and I know I talk a lot about Frost Gray, which is uh, which I'll do a review soon of. And real soon, actually. Actually, I should remember some of the games I. Yeah, I'll definitely be reviewing Frostgrave very soon. So, sorry to tangent. Uh, there's another game that's just like Frostgrave, completely different mechanically, but it's basically like a sci fi Frostgrave. So, if Frostgrave is like Mordheim, if you're familiar with that, it's a, it's a different kind of special game, Mordheim. It's an older game. Frostgrave is sort of like the Necromunda to Mordheim. So, it's a sci fi Frostgrave. Uh, but I'll, I'll be reviewing this stuff soon. So a lot of this stuff from Star Saga will be awesome for Rogue Stars, which is the sci-fi Frostgrave, which is like Necromunda. <laughs> so that looks cool. And then I also back the Shadows of Brimstone expansion uh, like an idiot because now yeah, the, the stretch goals are going to make it worth it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that that those I backed. And then One Night Ultimate Alien I backed because I want the carrying case collector's item thing. I was looking at... 
I won't back these, but ones that I'm interested in was Relic Blade, which is a lot like Frostgrave, so I'm not backing it, but it's kind of more of a, a family-friendly Frostgrave. It's a little on the expensive side for the amount of stuff you get, but it looks really neat. Like, the guy is sort of like the Ryan Lockett of miniatures games, where he designs, he draws, uh, he, he designs the miniatures, all that stuff looks really cool, but it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I'd rather probably just play Frostgrave. Uh, what was the other some of stuff? I think that was it. I haven't really been into Kickstarter too much, but yeah, that's that. Let's see. Oh my gosh. Now all the questions are pouring out. King Domino. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, Lisboa launches. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's the that's the Vital Asserta game. I'll certainly be looking at that. Uh, Rising Sun. Did they kickstart that? No, no, that's not a Kickstarter, I don't think. That's a it's sort of like a sort of spiritual successor to Blood Rage. I think that's the same game, yeah. That looks cool too. I mean, I'm interested in that. Um my son has been sort of uh, gaming agnostic lately. He uh he's been tough. He just got his learner's permit. <laughs> So he's going in this different, and this is kind of where I lost my first son and with the gaming. Is like, oh, now he's in high school, full blown teenager world. Um, well, we did play Escape Room the other day, so I should give him a sort of a shout out for that. But yeah, other than the Escape Room, uh, hasn't played a lot of games recently. So yeah, anyway, that's sad, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> and the others I have played. And I don't have a copy yet. I'm supposed to be getting a copy, but um, my friend backed the Kickstarter to the T, and he had he got all the stuff. So we played it, and it was really cool. So if they don't send it to me, I may ask him if I can borrow his copy to review, because I, I I thought it was a lot of fun. I was really kind of not sure about it, but I like it because it has the whole Overlord versus a bunch of players, but you don't have to do like a big old long campaign. Um, and you can just kind of take turns playing. And there's like, he's got all the stuff. So we played a bunch of weird stuff together. And it was really cool just to kind of mix and match the, um, what are they called? Not the old ones, the sins and all that kind of stuff together. So yeah, it was cool. I've never played cherry picking in a card game. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, so that. I think that was all the questions for now. Let's see. I'll give you guys a minute to catch up. But yeah. So I think I was saying I, was, I would post this soon. I do have to feed my dog soon and get dinner generally. <laughs> but yeah, I hope uh, if you guys have any other ideas for some of these sort of bi-monthly hangouts, uh, definitely uh, let me know. I'm happy to talk about whatever. I thought this would be a good opportunity and i know other folks will have interest in this as well uh, so i guess the next one would be not december but it would be in january so i can do it after kind of the holidays and everything and i will have a i've done a best of the year list kind of thing by that point and so i'm actually excited i'm gonna do something a little different this year i don't want to spoil it yet um but uh i think i'll do something kind of fun with it and uh yeah so we can talk about maybe the upcoming year and or something like that or anything like that so anyway thanks for joining all what, what was my peak here i think we had nine or ten on at one point 
so anyway, so I'll post this for other folks and uh, thank you again. And uh, definitely give me a shout out online or anything uh, for anything or any questions or just want to chat. So, okay. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later.